You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To the cheeseheads who want it fresh, and the ones who think Lambeau is a cathedral, this is Pax What She Said. Now, here's Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. Welcome back to another off-season episode of the Pax with G-Set podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined, as always, by Perry Goldstein. And we've got a fun one this week. At least, we think it's fun. It's fun off-season content, not like the normal stuff that we have to kind of churn out for the next three months. But yeah, last week, last week, last year, some of you may remember that in 2023, we took a look at how this 2022 Packers roster compared to the Super Bowl 57 teams. There were obviously some trends and some things that those Super Bowl teams were had that the Packers roster was missing. One of those things, we'll talk about all of it in more detail, but elite tight end play. Perry, did the Packers do anything to address the tight end position in 2023? Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> so we're gonna go back. Yeah, so we're gonna go back and look at some of those the conversations that we had about the Super Bowl 57 Super Bowl teams, how the Packers compared then and how the roster compares now, and maybe what they're missing from the Super Bowl 58 team. So first off, Perry, do you have a rooting interest in the Super Bowl, or is it just uh, an excuse to eat snacks and watch Usher? Um, a little bit of the latter. However, <laughs> as someone who can never and will never root for the San Francisco 49ers, yes. um, I think I'm just here for the Chiefs dynasty continuation um nfc team won't root for an nfc team so here for the afc winner but this was not the matchup i think most of america was looking forward to i think we all look forward to some new teams um making it to the big dance uh and this is a matchup that we saw literally four years ago um so we'll see i i think just some good football we can just root for some good football 
Yeah, and I mean, the last time these two teams played also was a leap year, which is just weird. There's a lot of comparisons to this year, but felt like the Niners kind of owned that game, and then the Chiefs came back in the end. So really curious to see now what this second matchup looks like when the Chiefs have kind of struggled a little bit throughout the regular season and looked like a completely different beast in the postseason, and the Niners had looked like the team to beat from the very beginning of the season. So Let's go back then and look, because obviously Super Bowl 57 featured the Chiefs and the Eagles. And the four big takeaways we had from those two teams was what we mentioned already, elite tight end play, defensive line and edge performance, um, the quality of the offensive line. And then the last bullet point from 2022 was red zone efficiency. Mm -hmm. So let's let's start then with the tight ends and talk about what went right for the Packers. Obviously the players that we were looking at were Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard last year. Um, and at the time we were recording Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Davis were the tight end room. They had 76 <laughs> receptions total for 676 yards and four touchdowns between all four of them. Yep. So I think it was very obvious coming out of the 2022 season watching the Super Bowl that and it's still obvious right like how much an elite tight end changes the game Travis Kelsey is still going to be heavily featured in this Super Bowl George Kittle is heavily featured in the 49ers offense whether it be in the run game blocking or as a pass catcher and I think like his blocking ability is the reason why he is such an amazing pass catcher. And it's really funny, actually, this matchup, I think, features like the two different elite styles of tight end play because Travis Kelsey and George Kittle are so different. And mm -hmm. I find like the Packers went out, as we've noted already, and they drafted two tight ends very high. They took Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft in the second and third rounds, um, both, I think, top. 50 picks if Tucker if not Tucker was like top 80 and they were heavily heavily utilized this season um not just because they had to be <laughs> but because Matt LaFleur as we know loves his two tight end sets um and because like we always knew that this was going to be you know a position it was a position of need and a position that the Shanahan style offense um features. And I think when you look at the two different tight ends that the Packers drafted, they actually kind of fit into the mm -hmm. Kelsey Kittle mold in really unique ways, right? Um, Musgrave is much more of the Kelsey style where he's really just a big, fast tight end slash wide receiver. His blocking got better over the course of the season, but he's not really going to be like getting dirty in the run game like you want him out catching passes as like that mismatch tight end which is really what Travis Kelsey is whereas Tucker is more of that George Kittle style like he becomes a pass catching threat and we saw it happen increasingly over the course of the season because you have to respect him as a blocker so again I think the Super Bowl is really interesting because it features like the mm -hmm gold standard of the two styles and the Packers drafted an example of each of the two. Now, I'm not saying that either of the Packers tight ends are going to reach those levels. I mean, Kelsey and Kittle are doing it at the highest level. Literally the highest. Yeah. Um, but they now have two 
that fit each of those molds. And they're both such different role players in their offenses. Like Travis Kelsey was the Chiefs offense this season. You you had a couple moments, obviously, where like MBS stepped up, obviously, in the playoffs, but he had dealt with drops all season. Kadarius Toney, nobody even knows what's going on with him in the wide receiver room. Rasheed Rice, of course, looks like an ascending player, their rookie wide receiver, but it really was like the Travis Kelsey show and Patrick Mahomes on offense. It was those two guys and their synergy. George Kittle has that dynamic ability. He can be the focal point of the offense. And we saw games this season where he was the focal point of that offense, but he also had Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Like there were other pieces in that kind of high powered offense. So also a really interesting case study there about what tight ends can do. They can either elevate an offense that is already, you know, or elevate, even if you want to say quarterback play, if you're looking at, you know, Brock Purdy and some of the, the game manager comments that he's gotten, or they can act like, you know, the entire focal point of an offense for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, the Packers got two good ones and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now in their second year when they're both going to come back healthy and we'll be able to see them in more two tight end sets on the field at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So I think as far as one of the major holes that we saw last year in terms of like distance, the Packers were to a Super Bowl. They've certainly closed that gap, I think, in this um, next season. Um, yeah. Second one was defensive line and edge. And I think this one was so glaring last season because the Eagles going into the Super Bowl were like one of, if not the best, um, pass rush units ever as far as statistics had gone when the league started um, tracking pass rush statistics. And it's hard not to look at that as an asset. Now, naturally, we saw that Patrick Mahomes was able to evade pressure and, you know, the Chiefs ended up winning. And ultimately, I mean, defenses can get you so far, but it's your offenses that are going to win you those championships. Um, But... I think it's an important one because the Packers have done a lot over the last few off seasons to beef up that defensive line and edge unit, namely getting Devontae Wyatt and then drafting LBN. And now it feels pretty well-rounded from top to bottom, having paid Rashawn Gary during this season and extending him further. There are some question marks naturally about whether they're going to keep Preston Smith. Um, and now, you know, JJ Anakbare is going to be coming back um, at some point, probably late in the season from an ACL yeah. tear. But the Packers have really nice depth for their new defensive coordinator to come back or to, you know, work with. But I don't know if, like, statistically they performed. You mean, you tell me. You always have the stats. But I don't <laughs> know if statistically um, they performed, like, quite where we would have expected expected them to given the talent. Yeah, that's a hard one because I mean, I feel like the the interior of the defensive line is has been especially tricky for the Packers since honestly you could argue like their last Super Bowl when they had um just a bevy of talent at the in, like the inside of the line across the whole line really. But yeah, I mean it was Kenny Clark and who else? Even when they had Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, your edges were set. But if they didn't get any pressure in the interior, then, you know, the run game suffered. And there were a ton of things that happened because they didn't have that support on the inside. 
and they they looked, you know, in free agency like Jaron Reed and there were guys that came in, but nothing really clicked. So the fact that, like you said, Devontae Wyatt looks like he's performing well. TJ Slayton has obviously, you know, carved out a role for himself. Carl Brooks has been fantastic as a, a day three find for the Packers. Colby Wooden, you would think, is going to come on strong in his second season. So a lot to like now and a lot more depth than just it is Kenny Clark and maybe mm-hmm. Dean Lowry and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a Tyler Lancaster. Like there's a lot more names now in the room, which is is impactful. And it's obviously something that both the Chiefs and the Niners have invested in. So once again, we're seeing, we saw it last year, like you said, with the Eagles who had one of the best defensive fronts that we had seen. And now we're seeing it again this year with the caliber of players that have made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And it's, I mean, both these teams that we're about to watch on Sunday have game records, right? Chris Jones and Nick Bosa, both are total game records. And I feel like Rashawn Gary could get to that level. He almost should be at that level. And he just has to take that one next step because there are games where he will wreck you. There are games where he will walk away with three sacks, but then there are games where he will disappear. Um, And I think that that's that one piece of his game that's missing is the consistency in which he can walk into a game and on any given Sunday, you know, the opponent knows, okay, well, Rashawn Gary can absolutely ruin this game. It's the way, you know, we felt going into the Raiders game with Max Crosby, right? It's the way we felt with Aiden Hutchinson, et cetera. Um, So I think that's, I think going into this next season, what I want to see from him, because if that's who he can become is this next caliber, then like, I mean, watch out because they have the pieces now, like you said, along that line to support, um, and he should be able to be getting home, I think, a lot more because of them. So next, you know, obviously we were talking about the defensive line, thinking about the offensive line on the other side of the ball. Who do you think of, right, from Super Bowl 57, Jason Kelsey? Obviously, the entire Eagles line is one of the best in the business, not just at singing, but also yeah. playing football. And the Chiefs had one of the better O-lines this year. Um, Some penalties, you know, some question marks, maybe with some early snaps and some early jumps, especially by their tackles, but still really elite offensive line play. So Packers, as we know, obviously struggled a little bit in the beginning of the season, especially with the uncertainty of David Bakhtiari trying to come back, being unable to do so, eventually being shut down. Um, But all in all, you know, what were your thoughts kind of on how the line improved throughout the season? Yeah, it's uh, the line this year was so interesting because we went into the off from the off season into the season being like, okay, the line is such a strength, right? You know, you have you finally have David back and Elton's healthy, and you have like such a good feeling about Zach Tom at the right tackle spot. And you know, interior may be a question, but like with those anchors, it's hard to feel like you're about to go wrong. And especially with a you know, new starting quarterback behind that line, you feel really solid. And then you get one week with David Bakhtiari. And it kind of all, I don't want to say goes to shit, but it it got really shaky for a number of weeks. And we, I think the Packers have been very lucky to have like very, very solid offensive line play for like a number of years. And it's always, always been their strength. And so to watch some up and downs, 
was difficult, especially for Jordan to navigate back in that pocket. And I think it was a huge piece of why the offense struggled so early in the season. It was a huge piece of why the run game struggled early in the season. I think also not having Aaron Jones and his like vision and ability to navigate maybe a muddier pocket. So it was tougher, but I also think maybe they came out of it better than expected because like those snaps were invaluable for like a Rashid Walker and -hmm. you could see, you know, the growth from start to finish. And I think now that the season has ended, you probably want some competition, but I think I feel comfortable going into 2024 if Dave, you know, with who knows what's going to happen with David, but I feel comfortable with, with Rashid protecting Jordan's blind side in 2024. So I think the interior still needs some work. I think there's still question marks there and competition there, but I trust in the Packers ability to draft and scout offensive line talent. But I also think that Jordan's ability to navigate Mm -hmm. a difficult pocket and behind a difficult line was also really good for his development. So like in the long run, it, it probably ended up okay, but it's definitely one. I think we certainly should be watching this off season. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in uh, Daniel Jeremiah's like first mock draft that he does because we're, of course, getting closer to draft season. He had the Packers taking an interior offensive lineman with their first pick in the first round. And that really shocked me because the Packers, I mean, maybe occasionally if there's like a tackle that they're really high on. We obviously know that they took Josh Myers early, early, but interior offensive line just seems like something that they've always hit on. And I mean, Rashid Walker was a seventh round pick, right? Zach Tom was a day three guy. So they're typically really good at finding talent late. So to me, it's hard to see. I think they're always looking for depth, you know, like we've got Sean Ryan as a third round pick. Let's yeah. see, you know what they have in him. John Ryan Jr. We know might not come back. We'll see kind of, I think he'll get paid to be somebody's starting guard. So he probably would leave in that scenario unless he wants to take a team-friendly deal to stay with the Packers and compete. But yeah, I think the offensive line is kind of always evolving. But as far as the tackle spots are concerned and your your left guard in Elton Jenkins, yeah, I think that it's pretty set. And it's just hard for me to see the Packers reaching too high, even though I guess, I mean, I guess Elton Jenkins was a second-round pick. So like they've historically done it. Just first round seems really rich knowing how close they kind of are. And I really like your point too yeah. about continuity for Jordan because he probably didn't know what it was like to be in an NFL pocket in the beginning of the season. And there was a lot of a learning curve where there, like the time he tried to um, sneak and he was just on the completely different page with the entire offensive line. Like those are all things that you grow into and now having a whole nother season behind these guys and a run game, you know, with a healthy Aaron Jones, with your receivers being on the same page, like all of the things are going to come together for him in year two. Yeah. It's, it's just like a, it's a position that I I don't particularly worry about too much. I think historically the Packers have done a superb job at the offensive line position. And again, if we want to use the E word, like the evaluation went very well for this offensive line. I think it's very clear where the holes are, where the strengths are, and they can go in this off season, do some work there. Um, I, I don't, I think obviously you put the David Bakhtiari conversation 
kind of its in its own separate category, right? right? Because if David, and we can probably have our own episode on David at some point this off season, just like everyone will, but you know, if David's healthy and ready to go, you take David back without question. Um, but I'm glad that they have stability and competition, at least at the, at the left tackle spot where I feel confident that Jordan will be protected. Um, I agree with you that I, it feels rich for them to take an interior offensive lineman that high. It doesn't feel very Packers like, like they have their tendencies in the draft and it, but they've surprised in the last few years with what they do. I mean, I never thought that they would use a first round pick on an inside linebacker. So who knows? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I look around the league at the offensive lines that other teams have. And while we can nitpick the Packers offensive line in a vacuum, when you take a look at like the bigger picture, I think they're in a very, very good spot, right? They at least at bare minimum have two linemen who are pro bowl level, even if they weren't um, voted into the pro bowl, I would consider Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom like pro bowl level offensive linemen. And so when you can anchor around at least two of your five offensive linemen, I think you're doing a very good job. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing that we were going to talk about, obviously, from last year's Super Bowl was red zone efficiency. And I think this conversation is kind of a good one because it will also segue into the perceived needs that this team has after the 2023 season, you know, where areas that they can improve in red zone efficiency, I think you would argue is still one of those things. Obviously, for the Packers last season, I think they were like... Ooh, I had it written down. Let's see. They were 24th in red zone offense last season. Not terrible, but, you know, in the bottom fourth of the league. Not this season, they're seventh. Right. This season, they are 20th. So a little bit of improvement there, but absolutely still a long ways to go. And I think what's so interesting, too, is this was an offense that was fifth on third downs. So like they were able to move the ball effectively. And then we just saw everything stall out repeatedly in the red zone. And some of that was being aggressive and going for it on fourth down and turning the ball over on downs or, you know, settling for field goals. But yeah, only 51.6% of those trips resulted in seven. And that's just, we saw it towards the end of the playoff game, right? That's just not how you're going to go out and beat really good football teams. Yeah. Um, I mean, they struggled mightily in the first half of the season as well. So you take some of that a little bit, the grain of salt, but it's just something that they're, I don't know necessarily how you improve upon this, except through reps, you know, practicing it in practice, getting the reps, right. Matt calling plays, that work well down there. You know, I think it, I think it's just practice together and we saw it steadily improve except, you know, in the 49ers game, but it has to be something they get better at. I mean, when they were the best, I mean, they were number one in the red zone in 2020 um, the year they called it the gold zone and you saw it, it was automatic. They were unstoppable. And I'm not saying that that's where they need to get back to, although that would be nice, Um, You have to get somewhere close to that because the juggernauts like the 49ers who are number one, if they are number one. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you get down inside the red zone and you're unstoppable. I mean, you are going to win games. Mm -hmm. You are just going to win games. Um, So it's something that they're going to have. I mean, I think also Matt LaFleur and Jordan both mentioned red zone efficiency in their postseason press conferences. It's something they they're going to work on this off season. So it's clearly a known priority. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be, you know, you mentioned it already with the 49ers, but it, it was automatic. And it, that's why the Chiefs are such a fascinating case study here when we compare the regular season to the postseason, because in the regular season, they were 17th. So it's not like they were world beaters and putting up a ton of points either. I think they were, what was it? Yeah, fifteenth in points for just in the entirety of the season, right in the middle of the league, only averaging like twenty one point eight points a game. So uh, they're kind of outliers, I would say. You know, as far as what they're able to do and making it to the playoffs when they did, making it to the Super Bowl. But yeah, the moral of the story definitely that the Packers need to improve in the red zone, and they're very conscientious, aware of that, and will be working towards that. So. That was one of the big ones we had, obviously, for what the difference would be for this 2023 roster. Then we had a couple, I think, primarily on the defensive side of the ball. So let's talk about those here. We had jotted down inside linebacker and the play of the safeties and nickel, which is, you know, we've talked about it. Really, its own NFL position at this point should be a position that is drafted as a nickel corner. Like, I think... You know, it used to just be like, oh, you just throw one of your three corners in the slot. No, like the, it's its own thing now. And the Packers are looking to get better in that role. Yeah. Um, well, I think these positions have now become even more important now that we know who is calling plays on that side of the ball. Um, and so according to our new DC, he's probably going to play a lot of cover one. <laughs> so. Um, whether he plays like a traditional cover one or not, like remains to be seen, but either way, we're going to need a true free safety and the Packers just do not have that. Um, and also like, I mean, you look at any of the top teams in the league, the top defenses, and there are safeties around the league that are absolutely wrecking games. Um, I mean, you look at like the Ravens, defense and I know that they you know didn't make it to the Super Bowl but Kyle Hamilton was all over the place everywhere yeah everywhere Brian Branch everywhere I mean the this position is so important and I mean we talked about it in our last episode if you didn't listen with Dusty Evely but like the evolution of certain positions is same with the nickel right you just said it, the nickel used to be, well, you just had a third corner out there, right? It couldn't be any third corner. That's not the case anymore. You need to have a very specific skill set. You need to have a very specific body type. You are now either a boundary corner or you're a nickel corner. Like they are two very different positions. Um, You need to be able to do different things. Um, I think same with the safety position and we had a long discussion as well about Darnell Savage and whether he's going to fit in this new defense and this new role. And like, I think it's still TBD um, because it's a matter of what this defensive coordinator is going to call. And if that fits Darnell's skill set, because Darnell has a very specific skill set. 
And to your point, he, like, he played a ton of nickel in college. And so it's like, do they want to fit him once again into another box um, and try to mold him again into another position? Because they've done that a number of times with Darnell. I don't know. But either way, you cannot walk into this 2024 season with Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens and a prayer. Like they're going to have to spend capital on a safety. Um, and a, and I'm talking like a hard hitting, free roaming, high football IQ safety. Because if you're playing cover one and you're the last line of defense and you're the only guy out there, you got to well, know, you got to know what you're doing. <laughs> And, I mean, you highlighted it when we talked about the Packers versus Chiefs preview in the regular season. Trent McDuffie is one of the best nickels in the entire NFL, and you can see that in his ability to, well, like, they're they're having to shade the same way that inside linebackers do. They're expected to be more athletic, to match up. You're, you're supposed to stop the run. You're also supposed to cover the middle of the defense against, you know, really big tight ends when nickels are historically smaller. So, yeah, Trent McDuffie, an example. And then it's really unfortunate that um, Talanoa Hufunga – isn't able to play the safety from the 49ers because he was having a fantastic season as well. One of my favorite players to watch as far as the secondary. So yeah, I mean, it'd be fun to think about what the Packers secondary can look like with some safeties flying around. Cause I think we had said, you know, one of the better seasons in recent memory for the Packers was when Darnell was kind of floating around and Amos was playing really close to the box at, or close to the line in the box. And they don't have the capacity to do that right now. That room is getting very thin. Obviously, Darnell Savage, Rudy Ford, and Jonathan Owens are all free agents. Anthony Johnson Jr. is a seventh-round pick, and I think he's about all that's left there. So definitely think it'll be something that they look at in the draft early and potentially in free agency if there's somebody you know that really speaks to them and they have the money to move around and do that. But secondary... I mean, unfortunately, though, like, there's a lot of mixed reviews about the safety class coming into the draft yeah. and like mm -hmm. what their talent level is, right? Daniel Jeremiah, you mentioned him earlier and he's not gospel obviously, but he knows his stuff. Um, he doesn't have a single safety ranked in the top 50. Nope. So I'd be really curious. I mean, look, the combine is going to come. The senior bowl is happening. Like, there's a lot, a lot that can change pre-draft. The draft is still two months, two and a half months away things change drastically, but that's pretty telling. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we got to see how they test um, and all that, because that's pretty indicative, but for a team like the Packers who very, very rarely take safeties that high, I mean, Darnell was kind of a surprise. And also it was a year where they had two first round picks, right? They took Rashawn and then they took Darnell like, I'd be hard pressed to believe they'd take one that high. If anything, I think they're probably gonna use their capital and free agency and take one that take someone that's a little bit more proven. But I also think that that's what this secondary needs. The secondary has a lot of young talent. Aside from Jair, it's a lot of young guys who still have a lot of growth to do. And I think safety is just, at least personally for me, it's not a position I'm playing with. <laughs> like you also, yeah. I was going to say, you also wonder too, the like with, 
with safeties if there's not something to be said for, hey, we have a new DC, we need a little bit more experience yeah. with communication being such an issue. I don't know if you want to trot out two safeties who are new to the NFL. Like Jair can make up for you at corner. Quay is going to still, I would imagine, be the mic where the communication helmet. That'll be significant for a lot of those things. But I, I have a hard time picturing the Packers just like tossing the keys to two safeties who were either in their first or second year in the NFL being expected to like handle some of these communications, especially knowing, like you said, that he does like to play middle of the field close, likes to do that cover one when he can. Like safety is going to be a huge role in this defense. And we used to joke that like safeties, you could kind of just like, if they weren't as good, you could just like kind of hide them. Right. And you're like, okay, well, if your corners are playing like shut down and your inside linebackers are keeping everything in front of them, the safety, like if you can make a tackle occasionally, you're going to be okay. Like not in this defense, not in the Jeff Halfley defense that he likes to run. Safety is going to be a really important piece. And I, yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about the Packers not having a ton of capital, you could see them kind of like, you know, pinching pennies to get something together to to go after one of these guys that is really going to make an impact. A hundred percent. And if you think about, I mean, you mentioned Anthony Johnson Jr., which I'm really glad you did as someone that maybe they're really excited about, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they really like the skill set he brings and he needs a decent amount of development. Bring in a vet guy who can assist with that. And then you're getting someone who's learning, who's probably at starting, but doesn't have to be the guy next to a vet. I think that's like kind of the perfect situation. And it's a little bit what they did with Savage and Amos. And that was the year that they were great. Um, Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, let's wrap here with inside linebackers quickly. We're always like, oh, these offseason shows are going to be so quick. And then (laughs) we somehow talk forever about them. But yeah, inside linebacker, right? If you're looking at especially the 49ers, the Packers saw it. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, best in the biz, best tandem. It happened a couple years ago when they lost to the Bucs, when it was Devin White and Levante David. So like for a while we thought, you know, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker could be that tandem. Devondre was coming off an all-pro season. Quay was like that freak athlete in the middle who was very malleable, young, but high upside freak athlete. And now I think we're getting to the point where you need more from the inside linebacker position. And unfortunately, I don't think Devondre Campbell is going to be able to kind of rise to that level. So there's a lot of good ones in the draft. I don't know what the Packers are going to do there, but I could see them definitely looking early to find a running mate for Quay because we're seeing the evolution of the defenses. And especially, you know, I know that everything's nickel at this point. It's more of like a four, two, five than a true three, four or four, three defense. But I think the inside linebackers are going to get even more important in the Jeff Halfley defense here as well. Yeah. And they have such a good foundation, right? I think Quay is like such a perfect foundation to start off from because you said it, he came in as just this like, athletic freak with this like crazy sideline to sideline speed and the ability to like close in you can blitz him you can do a lot with him but there were some things that he obviously needed to clean up there are things that he needed to learn and I thought in year two he really made an amazing jump he started wearing the dot right he started calling the defense which is a huge jump because Dre used to do it um understanding that communication is again going to be even more important when Halfley comes in. Um, I think the really unique like pressure fronts 
that Jeff seems to like to call, Koi mm-hmm. is going to be really important to be utilized yeah. in. But Koi still needs to learn how to cover the middle of the field. Like you, I think the difference between like a Dre Greenlaw and a Fred Warner and a Quay is that to me. Like you get Fred Warner even on a shifty slot receiver, like he can pass breakup. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's the expectation because Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are <laughs> freaks. They are the yeah. best, the, the best in the league, right? But like what we're doing on the show here is like we are comparing where the Packers are to the team that's in the Super Bowl. And right now the team that's in the Super Bowl, what they have that the Packers don't is this tandem in the middle of the field that completely takes away your ability to hit that middle of the field, to move the chains like between the numbers. I mean, we saw it when the Packers played, like something that they love to do and was a strength for Jordan in this offense was attacking the middle of the field. And you can't do that when you play the 49ers, or at least you can't do it as efficiently. And they make it a lot more difficult because Warner and Greenlaw they're going to confuse you. They're going to cause chaos. They're going to direct their defense where they know that you want to go. And on top of that, they're going to like make a play on the ball. Yeah. Right. They are always. so always, I mean, Dre Greenlaw had two picks, one of which was, you know, I think a gimme and one was a very good play. And that to me is that next step for Quay, right. Is being able to, kind of follow some of the tight ends, some of the, just the guys that are in the slot. Um, He can do it sometimes, but like we saw him on third down against Brandon Ayuk. And the only reason it wasn't a move the chain situation is because Ayuk dropped the ball. Right. Right. So that, and again, maybe he's just never going to be a cover inside linebacker. It's, it's a lot to ask one player. Like it's like I said, these are like gold standard, like freak athletes that we're comparing him to. But if that's not what he is, you probably need to get somebody in who can do that. Or you need to beef up the nickel position we just talked about because you have to have to have to have to be able to make the middle of the field like the danger zone for offenses. Yeah. Well said. I you took everything I was going to say right out of my mouth. So yeah, Sorry. absolutely. No, I mean, I think that's, you know, every year we're kind of showing how the Packers are evolving and they're getting there. There aren't as many deficiencies when you look at the Packers roster compared to these Super Bowl teams. I mean, not to like, you know, reiterate a point here, but the Packers went toe to toe with one of the teams now that is representing the NF. Like they're in the Super Bowl. The Packers took it to them to the very edge, like without, really nice safety play without really a strong inside linebacker tandem. So like the pieces are almost there. And I think, you know, with just a couple adjustments and a new defensive coordinator, like they're really close. So it'll be really fun now to revisit this episode next year when the Packers are in Super Bowl 59 to look <laughs> at how the roster just you know, elevated them to the next step against, you know, whoever the heck they're playing, probably the chiefs in the AFC, but Perry, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, I love this episode. Um, It's so fun watching the evolution of this team and looking back and now looking forward. Um, It's true, though, in like doing our research for this one, like just how close this team really is. Um, Like the handful of holes, I feel like they can really fill this offseason. 
Um, so they're right there. They're right there in it. And they've got, they've got the picks to do it. They can yeah. move around. They've got all of those picks in the top 50. You know, the Jets second rounder, Brian Gutekunst loves to move around the board. He's got like seven or eight picks on day three. So, I mean, he's got the capital to do what he wants to do and make things happen. So that'll be exciting as well. But thank you, as always, for listening to the show. We appreciate it. Um, we know it's the off season, so things will slow down here a little bit, but we'll still have one show a week, possibly two if news breaks like we did last week with the defensive coordinator hire. But yeah, please hang around with us as we start getting into the deep dive of the draft. We'll have the combine coming up here shortly to talk about, and it'll be fun. So if you find us on YouTube, thank you so much for watching this way. You can make sure to like and subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate it. And if you're listening to any of the audio platforms, we appreciate those listens as well. You can find the podcast on Twitter at PWSS Podcast, Perry on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein, and me on Twitter at Nike J. Loney. Thank you as always. Enjoy the Super Bowl and go Paco. <laughs> <laughs>